Welcome, everybody. It's TalkCast89, and it's hug a Wookie Night If You Dare here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Deep in Area 51, I am the Wedge Antilles of the Space Raiders. Call me the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight from the Alston Brighton Box Farm outside of Boston, it's our own Count Dooku Koreana. You wish you were Wedge Antilles. You just wish you were that cool. I am not Count Dooku. I am the Corrin Horn, and if you get that reference, you're fabulous. <laughs> and our very own Darth Maul from the box farm also, it's Zombrarian. Why do I have to be from the new movies? Why are you be hating? <laughs> Why are you be hating? Joining us tonight from the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, we're missing our Jar Jar Binks Illustrator X, but we do have his blushing bride tonight, our own Princess Leia. If she yeah, was have- dead and of red hair, the dead redhead. <laughs> I was going to say something about how many weenies we've had over here, but I think you've had some too, Dome. Ah, well, uh, yes. I mean, Thank you very much. There, so. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, the Boba Fett of Crop Circles, Captain Segway Awake by Java, is not with us tonight. But if uh, chance is the way it normally is, he'll buzz in at around 8.15 and go, oh, sorry for being late. Uh, <laughs> Tonight, we're going to welcome Tony Pichitti, the author of My Best Friend is a Wookiee. Tony, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. No problem. Thank you very much. Ah, So, uh, second half hour, we're going to talk about uh, My Best Friend is a Wookiee, and it's Star Wars night here, and we have nothing in our show tonight about Star Wars whatsoever. <laughs> I just looked over at the list of stuff we're talking about. Well, there ain't a damn thing. There's been so much news about it lately. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so anyhow, what's been happening this week in the world of science fiction? Hmm. Dead Redhead, what you got? Well, I happen to come across this site that apparently really, really loves Lovecraft. In fact, when you want to say that you want to eat it up, you can, actually. Uh, they make corn. No! <laughs> you could actually make, they actually make chocolate Cthulhu bars. Dead Redhead? Um, they, yes. Hello? Anyone? We lost you. Yes. 
Uh oh. Son of a bitch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Technology is whose bitch? Are, are we here? Oh, wait. Hello? She's just really, really quiet all of a sudden. Oh, my gosh. Can you turn yourself up? Um. That would be no. <laughs> it's kind of doing this automatic thing. Oh, Let okay. me see. There you go. There you go. Much better. Oh, okay. Okay. Don't know what you did, but it, it just worked. Well, see, that's the difference between me and X. Um, <laughs> <laughs> totally. I my bitch. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and look damn good doing it too, honey. <laughs> there is a wonderful shop where you can actually get chocolate Cthulhu's and sponge sugar uh, skulls, crystal skulls. And all kinds of creepy things made out of good things to eat. I gotta did did on on did they have like a website and uh, are we do. gonna have a link for it stuff? We have a link for it. Yes, we do. Oh, and, and can we? You go through, and it doesn't look like it's necessarily all that expensive to get there um, to to buy any of their goodies, but you have to see it. I mean, it's unbelievable. They actually have. Um, let me get it's called the Cryptocorium, which is a great name anyway. <laughs> it sounds I, I don't know that I'd buy anything you could eat there, but that sounds just <laughs> odd. But they but. have sugar skulls, they have lollipops with the mark of Cthulhu on them, they have giant Cthulhu chocolate bars, they have the Cthulhu idol made out of chocolate, or Cephalu as as um Mr. Ellison has taught us to say every once in a while. Um, but it's Thank you, Arlen. Color. That's right. They're in colors. You can get it in green. You can pick your own color. Uh, the skulls are like $10 each, so that's not too crazy to get one. Um, if you want to get a chocolate bar, you, it, and it's, the art on it is really, really cool. And the chocolate bars will run. It's about 12 inches. So we're not talking just your average chocolate bar. This is a pretty big chocolate bar. Nice. And it sounds like they're about $15, but it's your own Cthulhu chocolate bar. Think about it, guys. Just saying. Uh, yeah. Hey, you know, that sounds like a good deal. <laughs> it sounds like a good deal. <laughs> Although I will so say that's whenever the... someone says not your average chocolate bar, I think about Willy Wonka. Absolutely. Yes. Well, that last Wonka was pretty uh, Lovecraftian, if you think about it. Especially when they went to the dad, <laughs> where he was in that weird I area. I know. I know. It was it was it was very creepy, very creepy. So anyhow, movies this week uh, is really interesting. Green Lantern in its second wing of re- week of release made eighteen million, grossed eighteen million after grossing seventy seven million in its first week. So that's kind of a precipitous drop off. <laughs> oh, good lord. He got his paycheck, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And uh, yeah, Super 8. Big, uh... Ooh, I'm hearing mixed Go... reviews on it. Go ahead, Tony. You were saying? Oh, I was going to say there must be a lot of yellow in movie theaters this past week. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that was funny. Nice. But it's interesting that... Yeah, in its third week, Super 8 has, has actually 
booked more money than than Green Lantern did with like you know half the money on special effects. It's just amazing. It's absolutely I've heard a lot amazing. Of love it. Yep, absolutely. And X Men First Class is still actually uh, rated, uh, I guess, six in the top twenty. So about where it belongs. Hey, right yeah, but you middle. know, mediocre. No, I'm ten would be right in the middle. I like it. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Because it, it, right. I thought it said ten. Sorry, sorry. Well, look at this point in the top twenty films this week. You've got Green Lantern, Super 8 in 4th, uh, X-Men First Class, 6th, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, I don't know if you count that or not, in ninth, Kung Fu Panda, which I just like saying, in 10th. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 4 is still, is, is still in the top 20. It's 16. Uh, uh, Thor has actually grossed uh, upwards of $180 million worldwide. Yeah, Thor, we I know, so I, know mean, I know, I know, I know. Well, the cool thing is, is that they haven't done any casting. They haven't done anything. Except for, what they, you know, the guy who played Thor is coming back. Right. He's coming back and, and uh, 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 Don Payne is uh, writing the script. Now, Don Payne uh, was the main perpetrator uh, in my super ex girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> and wrote Let's not talk one about of the. That one. No, 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 no. It gets worse. And wrote oh. one of the early drafts of Rise of the Surf- Silver Surfer. No. And before he uh, did either of those, he was a scriptwriter for The Simpsons. Are they going to get a new Loki? That's my yeah. question. Because Loki needed to go. That's what most people said was the best thing about that movie. No, no, no. that was a horrible Loki. That was not the god of mischief. That was yeah. the god no. of emo. But, but he, he's not the god of mischief, really, in the Thor comic books, is he? Yeah, yeah. he actually is. <laughs> he's lol sick. Not really. He was a bit whiny. Oh, come on, guys. You know who you remind me of? Uh, 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 the, the Goliath from Davy and Goliath. <laughs> oh, come on, Davy. <laughs> <laughs> but he did look you pretty. Know, they made some pretty pictures around him. But, you know, oh, he, they made... he doesn't have the voice. He just, he wasn't evil enough. He's a bad guy. Bad guy should be evil. I'll tell you yeah, the one thing for. kind of whiny, not really evil. That's right. But the one thing Thor did have going for, for it, and you really hit it, is it was pretty. I mean, it was very a pretty. lot. Okay, the only problem I had with Thor, because I didn't really expect much from it, was Natalie Portman attempting to portray scientific curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> that should just like, just like I should never try to portray Natalie Portman's vapid face. <laughs> Natalie Portman's vapid face should never try to portray intelligence. It just doesn't oh work. No, she just sits there like, but my work is so important to me. I'm staring at your ass. <laughs> like, it, like, she just, she, she, it's not important to her. It's very clear. Oh, they stole my laptop, which is just a, just a thing to get you to rescue me. 
yeah. <laughs> I thought you said you like this movie, Kriana. I do, but I hate Natalie Portman, so I, I kind of have to rag on her. That was the only bad thing about this movie. Everything else, the the um, the Asgardians were awesome. That oh, that was there was a, yes. a whole great segment of the film, and I yes, thought it was really, really, again, pretty. You know what I'm saying? The girl I mean, who played Sif, awesome, right on there. She was yeah, badass. Uh, you may yep. remember her from Kyle XY. No, I don't because I, I never saw that. Kyle. <laughs> or, or I just expected I do. Um, I expected a lot more from being directed by Kenneth Branagh. I expected Shakespearean levels in the Asgardian stuff, and it wasn't there. I'm not sure. You know what? I I am really, really tired of everybody important being having a British accent. You know, you you have the... uh, Seriously, you have... The Trojans! The Trojans had frickin' British accents. It doesn't make any sense. Hello, we're going to storm Troy. No, you don't do it with that accent. Sorry. (laughs) Ask Eddie Izzard. It is important. Eddie Izzard will tell you how important it is for the bad guys. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I mean, the people invading Troy couldn't tell me they were from New York either, though. So, hey, yeah, yeah, we're going after that. You know, hey, we're going to take down the wall. We'll be fine. No problem. <laughs> we'll take care of it. We can we, do that. With, with a yeah, horse. No problem. Right? With a horse. With a horse. Switching, we got a horse. Switching hey. <laughs> switching comic <laughs> sides, if I can, for a second. I just want to put in a little bit about how angry people are. Well, everybody across the board is really angry about, I'm sorry, not the reboot, not even a relaunch, but a future, I guess that's a future launch if it's not a relaunch, a launch of the new 52 that is supposed to wipe out all of the DC universe and have everyone start all over again. And one of the biggest, what's the new 50, explain that title to me, please. 52 was what they used. For the number of weeks, they had a series called 52 where they had a comic out a week. And it was a story told once a week, so it was 52. Okay. Now, while they're using it, again, I'm not even going to go there. DC makes no sense anymore. But the big piece that got everybody upset is that Barbara Gordon is no longer going to be in the wheelchair. After Barbara Gordon, I don't think I'm doing any spoilers. When I say Barbara Gordon was shot by the Joker... In The Killing right. Joke, which was right. a huge, huge hit for them. And she became um, the head of, the, I'm going to forget the name. She was the Watchtower. She was the Watchtower. And Wasn't she through like her Prey and stuff? She yeah, was yeah. Birds of yeah, Prey. Yeah, that's her job, though. She would go in, and she had all the computer knowledge. She was like the Kriana of the DC Universe. Woo-hoo! <laughs> and- she even had her hair. Cosplay time. Get me a wheelchair, somebody. Oh, wait, now I don't need one. (laughs) (laughs) They were just like, because she didn't have... Whoa, dead redhead. You're going out again. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you to attempt to go into your Skype preferences. (laughs) And if you see something called automatic game control, to shut it off. Uh, I don't... See it. Crap. Am I any better? We're learning all kinds of things about Skype tonight. 
Yes, it's, it's Skype. It, Skype is 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 kicking us in the uh, nards tonight. I'm telling you. Although I did kind of get mine fixed. Kind That's of. That's okay, because UStream is apparently kicking our users in the nuts. Um, Are you kidding? No, apparently oh. they started inserting audio ads in the middle of our casts, but you can only <laughs> hear them on Ustream. Yeah, Are so sorry, all. Like, it's a real disadvantage for people who want to listen to us live, and I think that's really fucking stupid, Skype, Ustream, whichever one I hate today. <laughs> we're, 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 Is it sounding we're kind a of technology? Next week we'll be doing the podcast with smoke signals. Yeah, I mean, how much less incentive can you give someone to listen to our show live? Well, you get to listen to these people rant. There's lots of technical issues, and oh, by the way, there's ads, ads. <laughs> and they're really loud. You know what? Screw this you is almost stream. this is almost as bad as when we were on uh, Clear Channel. <laughs> I know. I know. I think we should put out a poll. And see how many people actually listen to us live. Because I could tell you how many, and it wouldn't be that many. But there, there are two really important ones. So, I, I don't know. There are more than that. Not really. Can, can you hear me any better again, guys? Not. Yeah. You sound you're... like you're under a pillow. I was actually holding you under, under a pillow. Under head. Head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do we lose her? I don't I'm right know. here. I'm okay. right here. Okay, okay, there we go. Is okay. it better again? No, but we'll keep going. Somewhat. Definitely Somewhat. Pillow talk. That's nice. Oh, <laughs> baby. Hey. Oh. About if I keep. Well, yeah, she, I have the she's mic gone white. again. What? Oh, jeez. What if I talk really loud? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, we actually heard you just then. <laughs> It'll make it all sound really important that way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I will pontificate. <laughs> no, that's my job. Sorry, honey. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So anyhow. Let's talk about, what are we talking about? Uh, I was no, going to move to uh, Total Film. I was going to move to True Blood. Oh, you want to move to True Blood? Rock, okay. Paper, scissors, Let's go scissors, Spock. <laughs> uh, I hate that. Spock beats Lizard. You win. Yeah, how'd you know I chose Spock? Are you always choose Spock? <laughs> <laughs> I say I think Lizard beats Spock. No. No? No, absolutely not. It Rock matter. crushes Spock Lizard. Spock's superior intellect trumps everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, <I'm... laughs> um, so True Blood came back, what, two weeks? Was it two weeks ago, or did they just have a double episode? Had a double episode. Oh, they, they ran one Saturday and one on Sunday. Yeah, True Blood. Yeah. Um, oh. Okay. My God. So, so quick compare to the books. If you haven't read to the books, um, they brought in the fairies real, real early, like real early. Spoilers. Yeah, they that's okay. The fairies last season. Well, yeah, but it's not really a River spoiler. River it's already aired. So, so they brought the fairies in early, and um, in the books, Claudine isn't actually evil. So, uh, and there, oh, there's really? no Mab that I remember happening. They they sort of went off of the True Blood sort of mythology and went, we're gonna slap a traditional character in here, see how it goes. Well, but they did that with uh, what's her name, the Naya, Naya, Bull Lady last season. No, she was actually in it. Oh. 
Well, but yeah, but so she's then, only in it for five seconds. Yeah. Well, they took a footnote of the plot and made it a whole season. That's fun. But I will say that the book that they're basing this season off of is possibly my favorite because Eric loses his memory, which already happened. No spoiler there. Um, but polarity is bound to ensue. Um, you, you may also know that compared to the books, Tara is not really in the books so much at all, almost. Lafayette should have been dead. Lafayette Nowhere near as much as she is yeah, in, in the show. Uh, that's but for I think sure. they really spoiled a little bit of the plot of the book. Well, I mean, not spoil the plot of the book, but they could have held back the reason for Eric's amnesia, and it could have been more hilarious that way. Uh, yeah, that was kind of weird. Because that was that's what they I, did in the books, and then she had to spend the whole book like take, trying to take care of him, and then also figuring out where, why the hell he was this way. And it was very mm-hmm. perplexing, but now we have secondary characters who were there, and it's not really going to be a mystery. No, there's no mystery at all. <laughs> also, you know, the interesting Bill was never water... the king of Louisiana in the book. Yeah. That came um, out of nowhere. I think that's an interesting choice, and I think the reason that they made that choice is because he, the fans like him, which in the books you're absolutely supposed to like him up until the point where he, you know, stomps on Sookie's heart, and you find out he's like a backstabbing bastard who was only sent there to figure out if she was a fairy. I mean, and then basically after that point, since the book is told from Sookie's point of view, he sort of fades into the background, and he's not very important in the whole royal scheme of things well, at all. Well, I think you've hit on it, because the books, I mean, the, the title will even give it away. The books are called the Sookie Stackhouse Books. Yep. The Sookie Stackhouse <laughs> Southern Vampire Series, whatever it's called. The TV show is called True Blood, and they've made it much more of an ensemble show. Like, it still sort of centers around her, but not You know, in the much. first season, it was a real real treat to get to sort of have the world expanded and you could see from all these other characters point of views that the book sort of seemed flat reading it after I saw the TV show. It's like, well, yes, this all happened, but since it's all from Sookie's point of view in the book, I mean, it's much richer in the TV show and you get to know a lot more characters a lot better and their motivations. And I think they did a fabulous job with that. The second season, I decided, well, what we did last time worked. We're going to take a liberty with this one. And it didn't work as they well. stumbled a little. It, it was still entertaining, but it was like, I don't know about everyone else, but the whole Marianne thing, literally, like I said before, was a footnote in the book. I sat through the plot on the TV show going, can this be over now? Because it's weird and gross, and I don't even really care. Yeah, well, you know, the way the things... The- I was the way you described that. I wonder if Sarah Michelle Gellar ever got in fights with the rest of the cast, going, "It is called." Bu-. I don't know what just happened to Dead Redhead. No, what she was, what she was trying to say was uh, she wonders if Sarah Michelle Gellar would get into fights with uh, the writers, going, "You know, it is called Buffy the Vampire Slayer." <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, but, I, on the one hand, I really like the way that they're expanding the characters, and I love that they didn't kill Lafayette off because I think he's a fabulous character, but on the other hand, now he's tromping around, interfering with sort of other canonical plot lines, and then it seems like they just bowed to like, oh, well, people are going to hate us if we phase Bill out, so now he's the king of Louisiana. 
I don't know. I think I think it's something completely different. To be honest with you, I think the first season was much more uh, in lockstep with the books, basically because the writers had to get to know the universe that they were working with, and the people who read the books had to be taken along the journey. I think you know that you're correct, Zombrian, when you say the show's called True Blood. And it's basically the group dynamic as opposed to the Sookie Stackhouse novels. And I think that they exist well, kind of not together, but they exist well side by side as companion pieces one to the other. But I don't think you're you're ever going to get that true, uh, you know... We're we're gonna stay true to the book the whole way. Well, it I never didn't happens. That because there are obviously things that happen in the book that would just be too expensive to portray on TV. Well, and honestly, the books are not as good as the TV show in a lot of ways. But, but I was hoping that they would actually stick with the sort of character development that she had laid out. Like, this is Bill's character. He was. You think he's awesome, he's the best thing since sliced bread, Sookie falls in love with him, he breaks her heart, she realizes he was only there to investigate her, she breaks up with him, he fades away, and then Eric becomes more, you know, more focused, but that's just not happening, and I feel like it's not for any reason that the writers wanted to, as much as they were like, well, the fans will be pissed, so we're not going to do this. Well, and I'm going to give the writers some leeway here, because I have a inside, not really, I have a person who follows all the inside Hollywood tweets and blogs and stuff, and what she tells me is that um, they had some writer issues with season two, and they've since um, that would make a lot of writers sense. or solved their writer issues. Something happened, and I'm hoping that it's going to be closer to what they were doing season one. And it seems like it will be because the first well, two mean, episodes did go from character to character and they didn't stay too long on any one thing. And I, I mean, even that. season three, this is season four, right? I think so. Yep. Okay, even season three was a lot better than season two. It was much better. I mean, there were aspects of the book. I, I know they say they're loosely going each book per season. There were definite aspects of the book. There was creative license taken where needed. Things were added, like baby Jessica is still around. She's awesome. Love her. Love that plot line. Oh, Love uh, come her. on. That's, that that's totally great. Adds. That sort of thing totally adds. But what really bothers me is Bill is now king of Louisiana and had Sophie Ann killed. And that's just weird. And this whole vampire sort of authority, that is weird. I'm sad about that because I think that Evan Rachel Wood, who plays Queen Sophie Ann, is really, really hot. She may be hot, but she's a horrifying actress. But she's really oh no hot. no no she isn't oh, not yes, at all. She is. If she were any more wooden, she would have put a stake through her own heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. We've spent enough time with vampires, whether they sparkle or not, to this point. Okay, Can you guys you hear me at least? <laughs> yep, we got gotcha. you. Oh, there. good. Oh, good. You, ca- okay. you come in and out, and right now you're in. All right. You may leave How the many... runway. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but do I look fabulous? <laughs> you look so Absolutely. fabulous, Make it work. So how many of you remember who Rod Serling is? Oh, he's oh, the spooky door, right? 
Remember, remember when we took you on the Tower of Terror? Yeah, it was awesome. That was Rod Serling. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm kidding. I know it was. Anyhow, uh, Bureau of Mo- Moving Pictures' Andrew Marion has acquired the rights to do the biography pick of Rod Serling. Oh, wow. I hope they're not going to use that guy from the insurance commercial. Oh, God, no. That would be horrifying. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's his name who got fired after the Japan comments? Gottfried? No, 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 no. That was Gilbert Gottfried. No. I thought you meant no, the- I, Gilbert Gottfried as Rod Sterling would be kind of fantastic in a really perverse way. <laughs> I'm just saying... Like, just imagine that voice leading into an episode of The Twilight Zone is wonderful. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> Anyhow, the interesting thing is um, Oliver Stone is going to be loosely involved in the script, and what? Carol Serving, his yes. widow, will be executive yes. producer. Well, that makes Is Mark Scott Zickery going to have anything to do with it? Who? Your face. Mark Scott Zickery is actually an author who helped Carol write, uh, he helped put the compendium together when they did that huge compendium about the TV show. I don't believe so. I love the quote that uh, Marion has uh, in, in the release. Serling was one of the true visionaries of American television, single-handedly broke the mold and established television as a powerful artistic medium capable of changing the world when used wisely. I like it. I like it. Speaking of used wisely, because there's somebody that I want to talk about who doesn't use their power wisely. Uh Uh-oh. George (laughs) R.R. Martin. I hate you. Uh Uh-oh. Oh! Uh Uh Uh-oh. them be fighting words. Wow. George R. R. Martin, to quote one of my new favorite blogs, is a troll. He, he is an internet troll and he will just kill off characters willy-nilly. But not only that, his books don't end. They stop. <laughs> you, know you know why? Because F you, that's why. His <laughs> Pretty books much. don't end. I'm reading this book. I just finished A Feast for Crows, which is the last book that's come out until A Dance with Dragons comes out in a week or two. And right. I, I am like, already sort of I think out. most of the book was pretty boring, to tell you the truth. But it had just gotten to a really good part, and the last couple of chapters were really exciting to me. And all of a sudden, it's it's the the the, the not prologue. Epilogue. Epilogue. Epilogue, but it's George R. R. Martin saying, hey, I know you missed these characters, that's because they're somewhere else and they're coming out in the next book, and I'm like, that cannot be the end of this book, because you know the next books aren't coming out for like six years. Are you kidding me? No! <laughs> so they will not take be the interviewing Mr. Martin. <laughs> in his own yeah, words, I think you've just killed he that will interview not for be it. rushed. Thanks. He will write at his own damn pace. And I, you know, look at you, George Martin. nice try nice try guess what you know the artistic wheel rolls how it rolls and that's that Tony as a writer how do you feel about that kind of attitude yeah seriously I mean 
Sorry, wait, what, what was the question? Well, the question kind of was in, George Martin at the end, George R. 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 Martin at the end of his last <laughs> book kind of epilogued it without an ending and said, yeah, we got other characters coming back and we'll do that next. And but never I, really ended uh, the last God. story. Uh, I wanna, but like, isn't that the point to like sort of end on a cliffhanger and keep you coming back to read these like epically massive novels? I mean, it's it's not like um, I mean, it's like he's he's pulling the wool over anyone's eyes that it's it's not uh, a single installment in the series. Um, I, I mean, no, if you I, I, I haven't I haven't I haven't read them. I'm merely playing devil's advocate. But, like maybe he's just dangling a little uh, carrot in front of his readers at the end to be like, oh, this is uh, sort of like what's going to happen next. I think it's more the attitude of, I can wait as long as I want to release the next book, and you're going to read it, so meh. Yeah, I think it's pretty much that, because it's not even that big of a cliffhanger. You pretty much know what's going to happen, but you just want it to happen. But you don't know what's going to yeah. happen, no, no, you pretty much cold. No, you pretty much do, because he usually just Art. goes on killing sprees when he feels like that. And, and then, yeah, that's true. <laughs> He's on the cusp uh, of another killing spree, so there you go. And where's Rick and Stark? Seriously, he's in Narnia. He is in Narnia. Nobody <laughs> knows what happened to him. He's frolicking with the Ice Queen or something. Anyway, so Tony, okay. when's your uh, sequel coming out? <laughs> when he damn well feels like it. <laughs> We need Java for a segue here. I can play the segue sound. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So if, I think it's time. Is we that bring what segue scooters sound like? Yep. That's exactly what they sound like. So, <laughs> all right. Joining us now, who's actually been with us through the entire show, talking about his book, "My Best Friend Is a Wook Is a Wookie," is Tony Pachiti. Thank you very much. All righty. Sorry you have much to say about True Blood. <laughs> it's cool. That's all right. We t we tend to get off on little rants every once in a while, and True Blood was the rant tonight, I, I believe. Fair enough. Zombrarian, think, uh, you're yeah. on. Well, Tony was saying something. He's the guest. Oh, no, I wasn't saying anything remotely important. <laughs> <laughs> I'm running the interview tonight. I'm very excited. Um, but I've never done it before, so I'm also a little scared. So I have my question all prepared, my very first one, which is... All right. Um, I don't know if you want people to know how old you are, but... I but did oh, yeah. So but too I, bad. But I did the math. Is that a question? About... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Fine. Keep going, Heather. So I did the math, and we're about the same age, and it was interesting to right. me because I feel like I'm way too young to write a memoir, and you wrote this amazing memoir at a young age, so did you mean to write it, or did you mean to write something else? Like, what did you mean to do when you wrote that book? Uh, well, I mean, to answer something else uh, first, but that was sort of uh, constantly... Um, sort of, uh, I guess, a fear, something I was working through a lot while I was actually writing it, is that I'm not, you know, that old. I haven't 
exactly experienced much. Um, and I was worried that that was going to come back and sort of bite me in the ass when the book came out. Um, but at the same time, my, uh, my, my main thought was that there were other people like you um, who had similar experiences. And just because I'm not necessarily um, old and wise by any means, it's, you know, it's not necessarily a, a reason why I shouldn't have written it. What I set out to do in the first place was a much shorter version of what actually ended up happening, just uh, a look at how Star Wars had changed in my life from this one very, almost like a security blanket, to something else entirely when it became really popular, when the prequels became, um, it turned out to be so much different than what a lot of people had expected. Um, basically, the way it, it just worked out really nicely, a lot of these universal adolescent milestones happened for me at the same time as when a Star Wars film was in the theater, starting with the special editions and then going through each of the prequels. Good answer. Oh, that is a good oh. answer. Hey, Heather, oh. tell the story about the robot. <laughs> <laughs> I get tongue Not as easy as it looks, is it, Zombrarian? No, so I'm not going like, to cry. I'm not going to cry. Are you guys being mean to her? What's going on no, over no, there? No. <laughs> there was an incident where I was supposed to tell a story about a robot, and the entire story was, there was a robot, and then I got really scared, and I stopped talking, and it's happening to me again. Um, so, I, I had the one question all ready to go. <laughs> That's okay. What was your favorite part of the book? My, Why don't you talk about that? My favorite part was actually when your mom wouldn't let you go see... Jurassic Park, it actually wasn't about Star Wars at all, because my mom said the uh, exact same thing, and I was also the yeah. only person in my second grade class who hadn't seen Jurassic Park, and I wondered how yeah, that affected yeah. your, the rest of your life. Have you since seen yeah, Jurassic it, Park? <laughs> uh, oh, I've seen it, yeah, um, but I haven't seen it on a big screen, and a lot of, a lot of those, um, like certainly the Star Wars movies were released um, the original trilogy. Um, I saw E.T. in theaters when I came out. I saw Back to the Future on the big screen last October. And I was, it's, it's very cool to see these movies that were so important uh, and prominent in my childhood, but I had missed at the theaters the first time around. Um, and actually, I think a, a theater in Boston was doing a big uh, Amblin, Amblin film festival, and they had stuff like uh, Jaws and Close Encounters in Jurassic Park, and unfortunately, I missed it. But it would have been cool to see all those on the big screen. But no, the Jurassic Park thing still comes up uh, pretty frequently in arguments. Uh, that's sort of the ace up my sleeve. No matter what, I can always just end an argument in my favor by saying, well, you didn't let me see Jurassic Park, and that's why I'm like this. And then I win. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. A classically trained thought. Beautiful. Oh, yes, yes. I'm, I'm well-versed in the guilt trip, I guess. So. <laughs> So I, that was my funny favorite part. My actual favorite part was when you were talking about, um, at the very, very end of the book, when you're talking about, I don't know if this is spoilers, how your view of Star Wars has changed. And the, mm -hmm. arg and the argument that I had been yelling at the pages almost the entire time I was reading it, um, which is that it's kind of, it's kind of George Sandbox. 
it's his to yeah. mess with. And do you think that is and I I'm admitting my own reading comprehension failed. Do you do you feel that way or did you just kind of accept that as a valid argument but dismiss it for yourself? Uh it's it's sort of it was a little bit of both. I think now I just sort of accept it and I kind of step back and yeah, it's George Lucas's world to play around in. It's his sandbox, like you said. It's always his business, and that's unfortunately what a lot of it feels like at this point. I mean, we have Darth Vader on spatulas, and I think that says something kind of scary for me about, you know, at some point kids are going to grow up and see Darth Vader's face, and are they going to see this really terrifying, imposing, classic film villain, or are they just going to see a mascot? Um but yeah, at this point, I still have the original movies, you know, what they meant to me, what they, how they served as sort of like a, a way for me to meet my first few friends. All those memories I have of the original ones didn't change. And that's what took me uh, a while to, rem- or to realize once the prequels had started happening. It, it sort of for a little while felt like all that didn't matter. Like it was all, um, like it was all just a race, but it wasn't. So I can I can keep arguing about how stupid midichlorians are um, with my friends, and nothing will ever come of it besides negativity over a silly movie. Or I can just be like, you know what? It was it was great. It was something that was awesome as a kid. But yeah, and I have that. I have that. I don't have to dwell on it anymore. So when you look back at what the movies meant to you growing up, and how that how that's changed over time, and the way that we've the way that the movies, you know, the movies have also been re-edited significantly over time as well. Right. Has that affected it at all for you? I mean, for example, like uh, ET, you know, the whole ET thing, which frankly really pissed me off when they took yeah. the rifles out of the cops' hands and turned them into mm-hmm. uh, walkie-talkies. I mean, it was right. it, it, when they pointed the rifles at ET. That was important, right? And not even that, but like they pointed them at kids, knowing that if they needed to, they were going to use them to get to this thing. And yeah, exactly. it is, I think in, in in a lot of cases, a lot of um, a lot of imminent danger missing from movies that are aimed towards all ages. Uh, we, you, know, you guys were talking about Super yes. Eight earlier, and I, I liked the kids were constantly sort of in harm's way and a lot like the Goonies they were acting like kids would but I feel like that's missing from a lot of you know, quote unquote family movies because they're afraid to, to put young characters in scary situations um, sort of they've taken away uh, in a lot of cases them earning their happy ending you know instead of this, you know like Shrek movies Shrek's never in any imminent danger you never think Shrek's going to die um, but I don't know they're not. They're, you don't feel that risk anymore. And yeah, ET was one of them. And with the special editions for Star Wars, it's scary because I'll watch the original versions and certain, sometimes even forget things happened Han the way they had in the first place. First. <clears throat> and you know, fear is something that is needed. Fear helps us learn, and it yeah, helps us totally. to try to stop being stupid. Sometimes we do something, and then it's like, well, that was stupid. I shouldn't do that anymore. And then you do it, you know, and then you learn. But when you take that fear away from it, you know, it's just like taking the, um, with the 
the Warner Brothers cartoons, and they took all of the uh, some of, uh, well, not all, but some of the action of Bugs Bunny hitting somebody or something. It's like really oh, the, the rest of us grew cartoons. up. The rest of us grew up with that, and we're we're pretty much okay, except the crazy ones. We're okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, I think things like switching who shot first and putting walkie-talkies instead of rifles—that's vandalism. It kind of is. It, what? It's, it's vandalism. Vandalism. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, totally. And you know, I mean, even though Spielberg tinkered with ET, at least he had the decency of putting both cuts on DVD after the fact. At least he let people choose which movie they wanted to watch and remember and okay again because it's lucas's thing he's like no it has to be viewed the way i want people to watch it which you know at least against all this outcry he stuck to his guns about it which is kind of admirable in a weird way but it's still frustrating for someone who would much rather watch the original cuts yeah yes. but you know it, it's it's kind of the thing where you want to you want to stay on the horse you rode in on you know this is the right. horse I remember riding in on this, and and now I'm sitting in a uh, sitting in a living room on a 52 inch flat screen, uh, you know, which is not the same as it was when I was sitting in like a 400 seat theater, and it's a different experience. First of all, mm-hmm. um, but secondly, it's a whole different, you know. There, there's enough sanitization going on to where it changes it changes all the direction it changes yes. there's there's a whole series of meta messages that were in the originals that got changed that that keep getting changed as as uh as we become more and more concerned about minutia instead of large pictures life is not safe boys and girls <laughs> Yeah, you should read Game of Thrones. <laughs> you can't go two pages without a rape, a murder, a beheading. Would be a murder? No, sometimes it's not murder, not if it's illegal. Sometimes or you could trust Littlefinger. Or you could trust even Littlefinger is rampant. Um, uh, uh, so Fuck you, George R. R. Martin. Okay, enough. Yeah, he's never coming on. <laughs> speaking of, we've lost that um, guest. Thank you so much. Speaking of George Lucas and his sometimes draconic—is that a word? Draconian. Yes. Draconian. That's yeah, right. Some, that word. Um, his <laughs> grip on his copyrights and his toys. Um, Tony, did you have to get permission from Lucasfilm to write your book or to publish it? Uh, we had to get clearance um, on, we basically had to get okay on the title, and we had to put, a, there's a disclaimer on the back of the book that says it's not endorsed by Lucasfilm, it's not related at all. Um, I would venture to say they're probably not huge fans of it, if they've even bothered to read it. I can't imagine George Lucas has actually signed off on anything, but, um, no, we had to contact their, um, their um, legal department. Uh, I didn't have to deal with it. The publisher took care of that. But, um, yeah, it, it, we just had to get there okay to do it. But we didn't have to... Surprisingly, we didn't have to jump through any hoops. I still, for a while after the book came out, had nightmares of um, just a legion of stormtroopers just showing up at my door and just <laughs> disintegrating <laughs> me or something. But, 
That's all right. I'd be making a corn bowl of cereal and yeah, lightsabers through the back. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> it would be. I'd be, I'd be okay with getting murdered if it was by a lightsaber or a stormtrooper. So note to self, if I ever send an assassin, send a stormtrooper. <laughs> yeah, because then I'd be, I would die with a smile. It would be great. What if we just kill the pet? And your final words oh. could be, I'm not the writer you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> or I just, if it was Boba Fett, I'd just say, I know, and then let him shoot me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so you really kind of internalized the whole, the whole Star Wars process over time, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It, it was always... A big thing as, uh, again, when I was a little kid, it was sort of the foundation for my first few friendships. So it always became more to me than just uh, a movie. Like, as much as I loved E.T. and Back to the Future and these other movies that I watched a lot as a kid, they were just movies. Star Wars was always something much more important. And it was a much more personal betrayal, um, which, again, going back to, you know, whether I thought I was too young to write a memoir, I knew that there were plenty of people my age who um, had very powerful emotional uh, responses to the new films and the special editions. Um, yeah, it was almost like yeah, it, it, it was like a, it was a betrayal of a friend, pretty much. But what do you think it was about that source material that that had that kind of visceral effect on you at that young age? Oh, it was what? very real. Um, you know, it just it, it was unlike anything I'd seen before. My parents were big uh, Trekkies, so we'd watch Next Generation every week. And yes. the ship was always perfectly clean, and, and it was a re- they, they hit the reset button every week, and everything that happened just oh, went back to, sorry. like, like, well, I mean, and, and I, I really do like Star Trek, but it was, um, yeah, it felt more, uh, at times, like a Western and a fairy tale, and it was just, it was very, the characters, especially in The Empire Strikes Back was the first one I saw, and they just seemed very much alive to me. You are an insulting, pompous fool. And if you were not an ambassador, I would disembowel you right here. Is that worth? Am I getting yelled at by a Klingon? <laughs> it's it's funny because we all have, I think, what draws us to the genre of science fiction is that there's an event or a book or a series or a a, a thing, mm-hmm. no matter what it is, you know. I know with with Dead Redhead, it was probably a bunch of different things, but I'm pretty sure zombies had something to do with it, and George Romero was involved. And I wasn't allowed to go see that movie until I was in college, and it sucked. <laughs> but I, and I know with me, it was definitely uh, watching uh, James Tiberius Kirk overact week after week after week. Yeah. Well, and to be. And to give Star Wars its due, I'm not even, I'll admit, I'm not a big sci-fi fan. I much prefer fantasy. I much prefer, like, the sweeping epic drama stuff that goes on. And Star Wars was that for me. Like, Star Wars was what what taught me that, oh, you know, maybe space isn't boring. Maybe there's, Mm -hmm. you know, these 
dramatic landscapes and funny characters and I, I'm looking daggers at her right coming now. Coming of age. Please state <laughs> the nature of the medical emergency. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and just like the whole the lived-in world that they, you know, went so um, above and beyond to create. Like, you know, you could you would see Luke's X-wing or the Millennium Falcon and imagine it as being, you know, someone's like hot rod or, or a beautiful truck. It just looked, everything looked like it had been, it was grimy and people had been just like sleeping in it for a while and living in it. It just, um, yeah, it just, like I said, it just really popped. And yeah, it made space feel alive. Like there really was something out there and it wasn't all that different from what was here. That is... Minus the lightsabers. I never really thought of that before, but all the science fiction that I was like, eh, about was shiny. And, like, yeah, Firefly and is gritty, and Star Wars is gritty, and those are my favorite space dramas. I, I think, though, that if you think... I will, Like, what specifically is shiny to you? Like, everything on Star Trek is kind of shiny and clean and pretty and No, well it almost never is, though. That's well, but thing. it starts that way on the ship. It starts that the way. The ship is, is shiny and clean. Yeah, I have to agree Sometimes. with that. Shiny but, like, I think if you think it's shiny and clean that you're not thinking about it hard enough, that there's something below the surface that you're missing. But I'm talking, as, as, like, as an aesthetic, it's all really shiny. Not, like, sparkly hey, shiny. I like my like, gadgets shiny, baby. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I didn't mean to say that, uh, I didn't mean to say that oh, the Enterprise I... crew never got their hands dirty. It was just, uh, um, like, one thing I really liked was, I, I read, um, some, I think, an interview with uh, Ronald Moore, who did Battlestar Galactica, and how he felt like Star Trek Voyager was almost a betrayal of its premise that the Voyager is way too put together several seasons in. Like, they didn't look like they were really roughing it at that point like they should have been. And that's something he really wanted to, to do in Battlestar, to make it look like they were really lost and they were really, you know, running out of resources and actually living in that ship. And that's something aesthetically that I really appreciated in the show through the end. I mean, despite its any issues with it otherwise, but again, that was a really lived-in, believable science fiction world. Well, think about the one Star Trek series, though, where they tried to give it that aesthetic of, you know, just limping along, which was Enterprise, which literally just limped along. It was horrifying. <clears throat> I, I just think Star Trek has a sort of different premise where it's sort of militaristic, and that's their thing. And they sort of have that approach to things, whereas other things are more from the point of views of various and sundry ragtag bands of people. Yeah, but okay, see, I, I think about haters. think about Babylon Five though. Babylon Five had that gritty piece. There was stuff going on. Stuff would break down. I've never seen Babylon Five. What are you kidding? Stuff broke down on the Enterprise all the time. They were always in those Jeffries tubes. <laughs> That's because they took too much to go on to the holodeck. My God, they must have devoted so much energy to that holodeck. <laughs> but it was awesome. And I've always wondered if there was a bathroom on the Enterprise. <laughs> of course there was. No, nope, they don't pee in the future. Ah, that's <laughs> awesome. But you know the it just Starfleet puts these little transporters in their bowels and their bladders, and it just <laughs> takes care of it. Oh, wait, yeah. do I have that? They don't have time for that kind of stuff. Right. Oh, nice. Wait, here we go. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and on that note, 
<laughs> yeah. On that note. Having that sound effect is why we're allowed to drink yeah. <laughs> I think that just is something to buy by us. Hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hey, you know what we haven't planned out? The coming up <laughs> yeah. We we haven't. Alright, hang so, on, let, let me pull it up. I, I, I am gonna actually I'm got, you you have it? I have it right in front of me. Oh, dead redhead. You're going to do the ending for us tonight? Sure, I can try. <laughs> hey, if you don't want to, I have, I have it too. Oh, that's, you know what? Okay, I'm making an executive decision right now. Dead redhead, you do it tonight. Kriana, you do it next week, and we're just going to keep rotating it until we find someone who can actually <laughs> work. <laughs> I've already demonstrated that I suck at it, but I'll, I'll go out there. I'll do it with you. No, no. Okay, so... First of all, Tony, thank you for being on the show. <laughs> no, thank you guys. I had a great time. It's been a blast. And, and we, we we are minus one of one of our essential characters tonight, uh, Illustrator X, who usually does the coming up calendar in Louisville. We put it in carbonite. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to try and do this tonight. Sans Illustrator X. Kriana, hit the music. It's already on. Can you hear it? I can hear Can you guys hear me? That's the important piece. Yes. Perfect. Go for it. All right. So, on July 9th, we talk hero business with Bill Walco because with great power comes great marketability. On <laughs> I July like how you're doing an illustrator accent. <laughs> <laughs> on July 16th, we have the extraordinary Matt Durson and the League of Ordinary Gentlemen podcast. On July 23rd, we have Ted Woods. You met him at the Boston Comic Con. Now read his latest anthology fiction. And on July 30th, we get super knocked up with filmmaker Jeff Burns and the crew. And I think we'll stop at that point right now. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con and of Comic Art House. Your one and only source for original comic artwork. Please visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music is provided by Azenoise. Please pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes. Actually, actually, it, wasn't. actually it wasn't, but I can play them now. <laughs> there we go. Whoever it was you were listening to. <laughs> go ahead, Joe. Oh, yeah, it's my turn. <laughs> Tony Pacitti has been with us tonight his book is called My Best Friend is a Wookiee you can pick it up wherever fine books are sold we will have a link to it on the website later on tonight oh god it's been an interesting first night without Illustrator X we will get by without him somehow from the Alston Brighton Box Farm the sweetheart of the soundboard thank you Kriana you are so welcome. Rock mm-hmm. And it's Grammar Girl Zombrarian and her robot. There was a robot? <laughs> From the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, great thanks to the Dead Redhead. Thank you, darling. You're welcome. I gotta go out and uh, get blown up by fireworks now. That should be interesting. This is Dome saying, 
genie shared paid his lesson, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. Good night.